0: where you locate a mine in a monsoonal environment and how you try and manage what is ultimately unmanageable.
1: One of the things that the book does really beautifully, I think, is to bring together discussions of the biological and the geological, the biotic and the abiotic in ways that blur these distinctions.
2: We need to radically transform the principles and practices behind extraction in the Anthropocene.
3: You're listening to the SEI podcast series, brought to you by the Sydney Environment Institute at the University of Sydney.
1: So welcome to this uh, online talk hosted by the Sydney Environment Institute at the the University of Sydney. Um, Before we begin, I'd just like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the diverse lands on which we, we meet, uh, that we're Zooming in from. Uh, the Sydney Environment Institute is located on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, uh, and I'm Zooming in from the lands of the Ngunnawal people. I pay my respects to Country and to Aboriginal Elders past, present and emerging. And if anyone would like to um, acknowledge Country, uh, acknowledge the, the traditional custodians of the land thereon, then please feel free to do that in the, zo- in the chat. So my name is Tom van Doren, and I'm uh, Deputy Director at the Sydney Environment Institute and an Associate Professor in the School of Humanities here at the University of Sydney. And it's a real pleasure to host this talk by Sebastian Arau on his new book, co-authored with Patricia Flores, called Worlds of Grey and Green, Mineral Extraction in Ecological Practice. So this talk and Sebastian's broader work uh, bring together a range of, of themes uh, that are of central interest to us at the City Environment Institute. One of the things that the book does really beautifully, I think, is to bring together discussions of the biological and the geological, the biotic and the abiotic in ways that blur these distinctions, while also attending closely to questions of justice that accompany unequal exposures to toxins uh, as, part of the, as part of extractive projects. So this constellation of issues connects closely to ongoing work that Susan Park and her colleagues are doing in the Unsettling Resources Project uh, and the work on biocultural diversities that Sophie Chow and I are are coordinating at SEI. So with this in mind, I I asked Susan and Sophie to co-chair this event with me in an effort to think with Sebastian and to help us to think with one another a bit more about some of these important intersections between extraction and extinction, between mining and and biodiversity loss and the diverse communities that are caught up in these processes. Uh, Part of the context for wanting to start this conversation is that we hope one day, Sebastian will be a visitor with us uh, at SEI. Sebastian was awarded a visiting scholar position with SEI back in 2020. Um, but COVID has made that very difficult. Uh, at some point, though, we continue to maintain hope uh, that he will uh, join us in Sydney for a month or so and we'll be able to continue uh, these kinds of conversations uh, in person. I don't want to uh, say too much about the book. I'll leave that to Sebastian. who's much more uh, qualified. It would be remiss of me, though, not to say that it's a wonderful book and I highly recommend it. Um, of particular note, I think, is, is the really careful and, and detailed way in which Sebastian and Patricio tend to the entangled biogeochemical processes that they describe. Um, this is the kind of work that I love, so get a bit excited about. It. And so it's a particular pleasure to share. It's the kind of work that um, the, the anthropologist Heather Swanson has described as relentlessly empirical. Um, it's thinking that is really grounded in a context, in technical detail, and that keeps coming back to that uh, detail as the basis for its thinking. Uh, And in this way, I think it does a kind of emergent theorizing, offering us an analysis that's thoroughly situated in particular time and place, in this case, as we'll hear about the current tailing dams in Chile, dam in Chile, uh, but also tends to larger processes and systems that shape and structure the contours of local lives and landscapes. I had more to say, I'm gonna stop talking um, and we can hear from Sebastian instead. Um, So let me just end by introducing Sebastian, who is Associate Professor in the Department of Sociology at the Universidad Alberto Hurtado in Santiago in Chile. Uh, His work is grounded in the fields of STS and the environmental humanities and brings those fields into dialogue in a really uh, productive and thoughtful way, I think we will see. Uh, to explore questions of environmental governance in the Anthropocene. And in addition to the book that we're discussing today, uh, Sebastian is the author of Assembling Policy, trans uh, Transantiago, uh, Human Devices and the Dream of a Worldly Class Society, published by MIT in 2015. So with that, I'll turn over to, to Sebastian. Thanks very much.
2: Thank you very much, Tom, for your kind words and uh, kind words, and uh, also thank you very much for this invitation. I'm very excited to be here virtually. I, I'm I'm sorry, I miss. I, I, I well, we had a, some sort of a mishap with a previous date, but we finally made it today. I I hope the image is more or less clear. I'm, I'm talking from the other side of the world, so probably it's. It's the longest tomb I, I ever made, probably so in, in terms of distance. But very happy to be here. And so, what I'm going to, to to talk about tonight, I'm going to present some of the main sort of arguments and and theoretical points. For, or, 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 or we, we try to raise in our book, uh, as 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 Tom said, the, the book is much more grounded into several like different vignettes and case and particular uh, and particular uh, particular stories. But 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 we're going to to talk. To you today, it's mostly like the some sort of a general frame that we try to develop in in order trying to understand our, our our materials. So mineral extraction has a bad reputation nowadays. Decades of, of of relentless extraction of mineral of minerals throughout the world has left behind a legacy of disasters and exten- and extensive pollution. Especially in the Global South, such damage is usually accompanied by multiple forms of violence and dispositions against local populations, chiefly indigenous groups, or usually indigenous groups. Under the term extractivismo, mineral extraction has been commonly understood as the ultimate source of lasting environmental injustices and colonial geopolitics. Even the Cambridge English Dictionary, when defining the term extraction as the process of removing something, especially by force, provide as a typical example of its, of, of its usage the phrase, the extraction of mineral has damaged the countryside. Extraction and damage are inseparable, it seems. Nevertheless, we just cannot get rid of extraction. From massive concrete and steel infrastructures to the tiny circuits inside our phones, the bones and beans of our ways of living are made of minerals, minerals that were extracted somewhere. We have lived in mineral orderings since the dawn of human civilization and will continue to do so in the foreseeable foreseeable future. As recognized long ago by the Russian geologist Vladimir Bernatsky, we are and will continue to be walking, talking minerals. Even ongoing ongoing efforts to deal with the negative consequences of such relentless extraction rest quite paradoxically paradoxically in more extraction. Or our toxic carbon regimes are being replaced by new mineral, mineral regimes, this time comprised by elements such as lithium, cobalt, and rare earths, along with much more usual minerals such as copper. All of them are, are all of them compulsory to any forms transition toward less polluting energy systems. Some of these minerals could be recycled from discarded infrastructure, as happened in, in the in the in the very interesting movement of, of of urban mining. While others could be used in a much more efficient way, but most of them would need to be extracted from its original bedrock. This this relatively unchanged centrality of mineral extraction does not mean that we have to merely accept its negative negative consequences, uh, as if we were facing what Isabelle Stengers calls uh, calls an infernal alternative. Either we accept mining as usual, or we have no way to advance toward a post-carbon future. This dichotomy simply cannot be accepted because the urgent need to decarbonize our our energy matrix is just one of our environmental crises. Issues such as biodiversity protection and reducing environmental injustices are just as relevant, and they are meant to be greatly affected by the increased extraction as usual of these so-called transition minerals, as it is already happening in Chile regarding the extraction of lithium In the Salar de Atacama. Hence, we need to radically transform the principles and practices behind extraction in the Anthropocene, so the search for minerals to deal with one critical environmental issue, such as climate change, does not end up worsening many others. The critical question, hence, is not whether mineral extraction would continue to be relevant in the Anthropocene, but which kind of extraction are we going to pursue. Our book, Words of, words of, words of Grey and Green, Mineral Extraction and, as Ecological Practice, claims that a necessary step towards practicing extraction differently is by start thinking about extraction differently. Following Donna Haraway and many others in Environmental Humanities and STS, we, we aim at staying with the trouble of mineral extraction, especially the trouble of one of, of, one of, of its most Noxious consequences, the enormous amount of waste that industrial mining generates, prominently among the compound, uh, 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 through the comp- through compounds known as tailings or the residues, resulting from the separation of the valuable fraction of an ore. In exploring this novel this novel mode of thinking of thinking extraction, we were importantly helped by our highly unusual case study. Caren, the current tailings pond of Minal Teniente, commonly referred as the largest subterranean mine in the world. Located around 100 kilometers south of Santiago, in central Chile, El Teniente is is property of Codelco, the the, the public-owned corporation created in 1976 to manage the recently nationalized copper industry in Chile, becoming as a result the biggest copper mining corporation in the world. After a lengthy period of negotiations, we started fieldwork at Karen and its environs uh, in January 2014. On our very first day at the mine, Carlos, a long time Codelco employee, took us to see the dam on, its, on his truck, taking the road that climbed through the side of the dam wall. It took us a while to reach its top. Already, mo- already more than 100 meters high and one, kilometers, and one kilometer long, the wall is not even halfway its final expected size. Once up there, Carlos stopped stop at first on, its, on the eastern side of the wall, the one facing the million tons of tailings already accumulated at the place. The view on that side was truly impressive a body of green water spanning for several kilometers into the distance to what, to what looked like a white sandy beach. Only the surrounding mountains, breaking the impression that you were seeing some sort of a post-industrial fake tropical sea. From, from aerial images, we knew that water only covers a, a small fraction of the tailings. Most of the dam was a, mono, was a monotonous light great surface s- surface, totally flat and seemingly borderless, where nothing grew or rest. From our vantage point that day, the dam looked like an epitome of tranquility. Nothing seemed to be moving in the gigantic infrastructure and its environs, especially the million tons of tailings right in front of us. We experienced a sort of glacial time, a space that was not only immobile, but seemingly immobile. Immovable, immovable. A a grey-lifeless world already firmly located in the deep time of geological processes. The the grey worlds of tailings are not so still, though. Tailings are the leftovers of a technique for mineral processing known known as frot-frotation. Invented in Australia, actually, at the dawn of the 20th century, and tested firstly in a copper mine at, in in, the, in, a, in a large copper in a large mine at Teniente. A few years later, this this is a very interesting Australian connection of, of my story. It's, it's it's on the if you are interested, it's on the first chapter of the book, and I can tell you more later. It's a, it's a very weird, interesting story. I really like it. Um, flotation plants are a technology for sorting between two kinds of materials. The extracted ores are firstly intensely crushed and greened to a very small particle size, then, pu- then put into a solution of water and several reagents and stirred intensely, emerging on top of the device, as you can see on the image, emerging on, on, to- on top of the device thanks to its association with air bubbles and are valuable minerals of several kinds, especially copper particles in the case of Teniente. These valued minerals, however, constitute only a tiny fraction of the materials produced through flotation. Around 99% of the processed material sinks to the bottom of the tank, becoming tailings. These tailings have two key characteristics. First, besides crushed rocks, they include several uh, chemical additives, some of which could be potentially toxic to entities living in the mine's vicinity. Second, and given that the original bedrock is crushed to very small particles, tailings are quite quite, uh, geochemically unstructured, similar to very light sandy soils and physically unstable. Hence, tailings are not only potentially toxic but also highly mobile. They are always on motion, fast or slow, through water, soil and air. No barrier can really contain them for good. What makes this issue especially pressing is that even mid-site even mines produce several hundred thousand tons of tailings per day, in all reaching, um, and I'm quoting here, a global scales, in the same order of magnitude as the actual sediment discharged to the oceans, end of, end of quote. Like Karen, the dams where, where tailings accumulate become enormous extending for hundreds of square ki- kilometers and reaching depths of several hundred meters. Given their potential toxicity, phys- uh, physical instability, and enormous volume, tailings have become one of the most important sources of mining-related pollution and destruction, as happened in Karen in 2006, as, as you can see on the pictures, when a large spill co- caused ha- uh, 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 a large spill heavily polluted the basin downstream from the, from the basin. Mm-hmm. Besides beside this, this usually, this, 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 this problem or this normally environmental issues, Telling this position worldwide is usually accompanied by a series of malpractices traditionally of mining corporations, especially in relation with local communities. Practices such as land grabbing, violence against communal leaders and environmental activists, especially indigenous ones, dam- damage to farmlands and cultural heritage and along etc. continue to characterize the practices of the industry, especially in Latin America. Mineral extraction is damage and violence, it seems the most vivid manifestation of ongoing colonial regimes of living permitting many areas of the global south. However, upon reaching the other side of the dam that day, this first assessment was, ra- was rapidly cha- challenged. Besides the wall itself, the view clearly departed from the image of damage and pollution usually associated with large-scale mining. Instead, instead, we saw a river running down the valley surrounded by a fair amount of greenery, both agricultural fields and forests. Such a view only confirms what we have seen approaching the current complex. To the eyes of the visitor, the basin appears as fairly typical for Chile's Central Valley, relatively arid but with plenty of agricultural fields with crops such as corn and potatoes, plus livestock. Such vitality was surprising taking in consideration the so-called megadroft of currently affecting central Chile. Seen as the most prominent manifestation of climate change in the country and lasting already more than 10 years, it has progressively turned the most areas in the direct vicinity of this valley into uter wastelands. In contrast, the Garén Basin looks quite fertile, all thanks to the water coming regularly through the local creek. Along with crushing rock, well, well, along with with crushed rocks and chemical reagents, the tailings arriving at Carén contains a fair amount of water. Given that Teniente, the mine, is located almost 85 kilometers away and 2,000 meters up the Andes, this water cannot be recirculated to its to its industrial plant, as is the custom in most mining in most mining Chile. Instead, it, it is released after being treated becoming the sole source of surface water to the basin, the origin of most of the lively ecologies existing downstream from the dam. Karen, we we rapidly realized, was a paradox. We have arrived there expecting to find extensive pollution and obliterated communities. We found that, for sure. But we also found many other things, several of them openly contrary to the destruction usually associated with mining environments. There was water on the local creek. There were productive agricultural fields. There were strange wildlife entanglements. There were people seeing it as a natural spot. There was damage for sure, but also there was life, life within extraction. When trying to decide how shall we read our material all these mo- multiple encounters between tailings and life, we found ourselves increasingly uh, at odds with most social science literature on extraction and, more in general, with toxicity. The recognition that tailings have caused important damage to previously existing ecologies always went hand in hand with acknowledging the emergence of several novel ecologies, allowing the the existence and reproduction of multiple beings, from bacteria to human beings, and such existence was not despite but because the dam. Against conventional critical notion, notion of mining as quoting here, the singular point of origin of a range of social, economic, and environmental patholo- pathologies. In Karen, we found tailings causing both disruption and and the, and the emergence of life, usually on the, same, on the same movements. The pathologies were there, but usually acompa- uh, um, accompanied by several unexpected vital developments, some of them pointing towards tenta- tentatively hopeful futures. To less damaging, even enriching, we could say, ways to live with tailings and other residues of industrial processes. Hence, the usual critical approaches to mining would not suffice to us to rightly speak, think, and talk about Karen. A first hint toward a more gener- generative approach to Karen was suggested when, when we were reading geochemical analysis of El Teniente tailings. As they describe, from its very first moments, tailings becomes be, become home to multiple kinds of microorganisms, especially bacteria such as uh, such as acid. I, I always have problems pronouncing the name of the bacteria. Uh, I hope I pronounced it well. Uh, the presence of bacteria in tailings directed us to the work on, on, on symbiosis carried out by multiple evolu- uh, evolutionary biologists for more than a century, most, most, notably, most notably recently by Lynn Margulis, and its forays into the environmental humanities and STS. Breaking with conventional readings of, Darwin evolution- of Darwin's evolutionary theory as pure competition, they pose the need to understand the evolution of life on earth also as a matter of, sy- of, of symbiotic entanglement, especially at the bacterial level. On this, on, on this entangled um, emergence of life, conventional non-living entities such, a, such as minerals occupy c- central places. Following the ge- geochemist Caldwell and Caldwell, in our book we understand such interactions, some, such, ent- such entanglement, as based on what, on what they have called geosymbiosis, or coding... a reciprocal uh, reciprocal relationship in which the restructuring and proliferation of a mineral affects the proliferation rate of an organism. And the restructuring and proliferation of of the organism affects the proliferation rates of the mineral. In a similar way than purely purely biological symbiosis, geosymbiosis are not only casual, but both geosymbiotic partners affects and are affected in return, representing, quoting, cross-linkages between the pipelines of biological and geological innovation." End of quote. Even leading to the formation of whole new holo-geobiomes. Then minerals are not passive recipients of symbiosis, but very much participants on them, being importantly changed, changed as, as a result. Even conventionally toxic chemicals compounds could be seen as geosymbiotic partners of coevolution not necessarily attacking biological entities, but taking them somewhere else. To recognize that that entanglement is at least as important as competition for the emergence and maintenance of life does not mean that symbiosis are necessarily an improvement for all the entities involved, as is usually assumed. Actually, as noted by Jan Sapp in in his history of the field, it's a very, very... Nice book, I really recommend it to anyone interested in this kind of topics. One of the most problematic issues regarding the, 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 the historical development of symbiosis theory has been the tendency among many of, of its practitioners to equate symbiotic entanglements with social and or moral orderings. Against the rampant the, the rampant spread of global capitalism slash neoliberalism and it, and, and its unabashed support of individual competition, symbiosis appeared to naturalize an alternative social ordering on which cooperation and mutual care was the rule, not an exception. However, as sub-notes, I'm quoting here, this narrow meaning of the term is difficult, if not impossible, to apply to real associations. On this regard, the moralization of symbiosis could be seen mostly as an example of what Lorraine Daston as has called the naturalistic fallacy, or the practice of projecting human bodies into nature in order to give them greater authority. How, so, so our, our question becomes, how can we, we engage with, with geosymbiosis avoiding the trap of moralization? In our case, by adding a further component, uh, a further component to conventional modes, models of symbiosis. In accordance with such models, symbiosis range from mutually beneficial, usually known as mutualism, or neutral, known as commensalism, to detrimental interactions, known as parasitic. However, even in parasitic symbiosis, the damage caused upon the host is bearable, establishing entanglements that can last for the whole life of the involved. However, there are situations in which the harm caused by the symbiont cannot be tolerated without suffering great damage. Damage that that can even lead to the death of the host. Regarding entanglements between biological and mineral entities, we call this situation toxic geosymbiosis. Toxic geosymbiosis are an entanglement between biological entities and mineral compounds that damage in an intolerable way the former, leading to permanent harm, even its death. This entanglement is still symbiotic because generally it reports some marginal benefits to the biological host, some temporary relief from other needs or the paradoxical freedom of resulting too toxic to be eaten or controlled. These benefits, however, are temporary, as toxic symbiosis always led to the ultimate renation of the biological host. When toxicity is integrated into the conventional model of symbiosis, there is a certain, uh, certainly a rebalance. No longer geosymbiosis can be seen as inherently good or moral because as, as much as they can cause mutual benefit, they can also lead to the utter obliteration of one of the partners. Of one of the partners. Against the notion of, a, of an harmonic process, geosymbiosis are commonly thought and messy, demanding and difficult, even harmful. Geosymbiosis have no telos beyond proliferation, no ultimate morality. But they offer multiple possible paths of of connection between chemicals and biological worlds, something especially valuable at a time such as ours, in which several of us feel that our paths are narrowing dangerously. Geosymbiosis, we believe, are ripe with possibility. From this perspective, a rather different image of Karen emerges. Instead of the conventional no- uh, notion of some sort of warfare between toxic tailings and living beings, approaching Karen from a geosymbiotic perspective reveals the dam and its environs as a troublesome ecology, one in which anthropo- anthropogenic chemicals continually interact with multiple li- living entities, firstly with bacteria at the microbial level, but rapidly included other, much larger beings, such as, such as algae, plants, animals, and human beings, as several uh, stories in our book reveals. Some of these of these geosymbioses are toxic, no doubt about that. Others are mutualistic, allowing the proliferation of all the involved. Most of them, we, we would say, exist, exist between both, both extremes, allowing certain life in certain ways but cancelling out many others. In taking such such approach, we also aim at at extracting the entities entangled with tailings from algae growing on ponds to human beings' swimming in the river on a hot summer day, as you can see on the picture, from purely damage-centered narratives. To be clear, by doing this, we don't aim at normalising or hiding damage, nothing of the sort. Our aim is simply to show how damage goes hand in hand with desire, with the pulsion among among the affected entities to to continue living, to persist and expand, even if if such living entails establishing unholy alliances with the very substances causing causing such damage. In doing so, we aim at seeing tailings as entanglements, as part of entanglements with a certain dignity. Frankenstein always unloved but whose whose voice is more relevant than ever because we, human, animal, vegetal, mineral, become with them. Once we live in an area in which million tons of tailings accumulate, we become with tailings. Geology becomes biology, extraction becomes evolution. And just uh, some final thoughts. While writing our book, we were fully aware that our approach could be easily misinterpreted misinterpreted as a new way to glamorize or normalize destruction. Geosymbiosis becoming some sort of a corporate social responsibility 2.0 for an industry always thirsty for cost-effective techno fixes. However, as many stories on, on, on our book reveals, the multiple, forms of, the multiple form, forms of damage and disruption that Karen has caused throughout the years should warn us against seeing geosymbiosis as an easy path forward for the industry on, 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 its, on, on its search oxymoronic, oxymoronic search for sustainable mining. More modestly, through a sta- through a sta- studying Karen exceptionality we hope to show that environmental devastation is not necessarily inherent to extraction, or that extraction and extractivismo are not synonyms. Although no little amount of damage is compulsory to to extractive operation, this not equates with devastation or the utter abolishment of most possibility of life in the areas where extractive industries operate. If such devastation occurs, as daily happens in mice throughout the world, it is mostly because the actors involved, from corporations to authorities, the media, and even the affected communities, do not care enough. They are not willing, many times, or capable to intervene in nurturing more mutually beneficial entanglements and avoiding toxic geosymbiosis. The reasons given for for such a lack of care are manifold, financial, political, cultural, environmental, etc. But they all point to a consideration of this novel geosymbiosis as unimportant, as merely poor replacements of real nature, and hence not worth worth fighting for. Through analyzing tailings and its imperfect geosymbiosis in Karen, Through enhancing its its vitality and dignity, our book aims at disrupting this narrative and offer figures of tentative hope within extraction, lifelines crisscrossing our multiple devastations. Thanks.
1: Great. Thank you. It certainly was. Thanks very much, Sebastian. Great. So we have a bit of time um, for discussion, which is what we hoped. Um, So um, if you have a a question, please feel free to put your hand up or, or... put it in the chat or uh, put your name in the chat or let me know in the chat that you have a question um but before we go to to general questions um i just want to to give um sophie and susan a chance to to jump in with a a quick question to start us off so sophie did you want to
3: sure thank you tom Uh, and thank you so much sebastian for this incredible journey to Karen, this zone of extensive pollution um, and obliterated communities, but also a zone of life, a life, in your words, uh, within extraction. Um, your talk and also your book that I had the pleasure of reading in full um, offer some really thought-provoking, if also unsettling insights into the liveliness and the vitality of this place where people are learning to make do and to become other in the companionship of tailings and other industrial residues that are, as you write, anything but dead. Uh, And there were some really interesting resonances uh, between um, your work and some of my work on extraction and extinction and emergence in the palm oil plantation sector in West Papua. And I think your book does a really wonderful job of foregrounding the non-innocence of more than human entanglements um, and also their contingencies and potentialities. So I wanted to invite you, Sebastian, to speak to a concept uh, that you develop in the second half of your book on what you call the politics of weakness. Um, And I wanted uh, you to flesh out this concept for us, Um, you describe it as um, an antidote or alternative to this modernist aim of of dominating the non human world. um, And a politics that's anchored instead in a recognition that not all relevant actors can be accounted for or controlled by humans, and so we have to learn as you write, to parasite more carefully and to watch out for when our parasitism is causing too much damage to the beings upon whom we depend. So I was curious to know how you understand weakness um, in relation to vulnerability, uh, a concept of course that's been extensively theorized um, by folks like Judith Butler, Franklin Jin and others uh, as a way out in some ways of sort of individualistic and autonomistic thinking um, in the Anthropocene. So is there a relationship here between weakness and vulnerability and how does weakness in your view differ from or perhaps take us further than vulnerability as a concept as a politics uh, and as a practice. Thanks, Sebastian.
2: Thank you, Sophia. I'm, I'm delighted to hear that someone has read the book. So, so thank you very much for that. It's a great connection that 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 I haven't had really the time to think about. I think we 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 the the, the we thought about the 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 concept is of politics of weakness mo- mostly mostly as a way to try to escape some sort of some sort of uh, of uh, of. Um, we're, we're so we were very worried about about this, this uh, as i put that this moralistic uh take on on geosymbiosis and tailings see, and, and and this way of, of trying to idealize it as an, as a proper alternative or as a way to live all together and happy in a common world in a way um. for me what was very important to to highlight the danger of the of the of the geosymbiosis and how, how geosymbiosis are everywhere and. And and this this point that has been raised many times about, about the issue that for bacteria or for most of for most of the people for most of the entities involved in geosymbiosis, we don't exist. We, we we are totally irrelevant for them. So 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 if they cause extinction of some species, even human beings, they are going to keep living in the earth more or less unaffected so 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 so, so for me that the the, the 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 this political of weakness what 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 what, what was that? we're trying to make like a like a some sort of a counterbalance between how can we engage with the, with the, with the, with this with this massive power of symbiosis in a way but but, but not in a ways that propose like a like that this, that this Laturian Parliament of Things in a way where, where, that where, where, where in which we supposedly are able to, uh, we able to reach an agreement with these non-human entities because they really don't care. Now, for us, in, in, the, in this sense, as, as we explained in the book, this point that is raised by by, by about about this how non-human entities really are not. Present and cannot be present in in any kind of political of of human political space it was very important. So 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 so, so, so probably the, the, the only way that we saw to politicize the issue, the, this 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 dependence on them on the material was what well, issue of politicizes as it's very sort of precarious kind of. Or governance from weakness, operating from from weakness. Uh, and, and but 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 so far I, I haven't we, we didn't make the connection with the, with the issue of vulnerability. So, so so I will definitely look into it and in, 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 in future in further like thoughts about this. So, so thank you very much for that point.
1: Thank you, um, Susan. Did you want to jump in?
0: Thanks, Tom, and thank you, Sebastian. I also had the pleasure of reading this book in full, and I absolutely loved it. I, I have to say, it's really changed. Uh, my thinking in terms of extractivism. I mean, I I, I like science fiction. I symbiosis. It's in Spider Man. It's in Doctor Who. It's in the Annihilation trilogies. If you read those books by Jeff Vandermeer, you think it's in the future, but it's in the now. This is absolutely amazing. I mean, if I think about the types of effects of energy generation and disaster, I think about Fukushima. I think about Chernobyl. I think about effects on species and the effects on humans but you're talking about copper and copper is prevalent and it's been in Chile for a long time I mean you start this narrative right from you know the the early 19th century and so we get a sense of how we can try and minimize these types of risks to minimize environmental disasters that stem from extractivism that stem from energy generation and what your book shows in a really detailed way is just the way the limitations of the regulatory environment both in in Chile through through the law through environmental regulations but also in my work at the global level I mean in response to tailings mines disasters we have very very recently the global industry standards and tailing management but again the limitations are just so evident I mean the aim of of the the tailing management is zero harm to people. And the idea of zero tolerance for human fatality, that's important. But what you're showing is that there's a whole lot more going on here. And that is really about what happens when you conceive of things like tailings management as inert, which they are obviously not. And your book so beautifully shows that. And it made me think about the work done by Rebecca Lawrence here at the SEI on the Ranger uranium mine in the Northern Territory, where you locate a mine in a monsoonal environment and how you try and manage what is ultimately unmanageable a thousand leagues over the life of that mine into a monsoonal environment. And so, where this brings us is what she calls this uncomfortable knowledge. This idea that we can try and regulate and manage what is happening. Now your book's incredibly amazing because you look at a very, very specific location which has this capacity for both the gray world, the death of things, but also the green world, this evolution that you talk about, this geosymbiosis. And so I guess my question for you is I get a sense from the interviews that you've done with people at the mine that they're very aware of the dynamic nature of the tailing stem, the dragon. But you also identify that the mine is meant to go through till 2064. This is a very long period of time, even though you talk about the, the very long gestation and history of the mine in your book. So is there a sense, this is my question, is there a sense from the regulators, from the mine operators, from the local communities that in actual fact there is no real way forward, there is a limitation to the scientific knowledge of what is happening in the area and how this might continue or whether or not new disciplines might emerge to look at or if there are already people that are deeply, sort of cognizant of and following the evolution of species, in 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 the area. Thank you for your book.
2: They show they show about about management and the, and the, the way it was seen inside the inside their mind. It was very very interesting. Maybe, maybe because of the. The, there was a, a, a very important struggle between, uh, uh, and I think on, on the on the dragon chapter, it, really, it was much more clearly. The, 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 there was very much a, a, a struggle between the guys who were like like the base operative, the, the, the who were who were deeply on the mind. The, 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 they they were called the the name is I really very, very love it, the viejitos. They call it the, the old ones, uh, and these viejitos were were, were the guys who had been most of them who have been working at Codelco for 20, 30 years, they they used to... It it was a funny thing because working at the tailing dams was some sort of a golden retirement for them i think a lot, a lot of people who have been working in much more danger a much more uh, demanding part of the mine after 20 25 years just be, just before retiring they were moved to the tailing to 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 the to, to the tailing tailings division because it was it was seen as a much more relaxed laid down kind of work and uh, but, 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 but the third thing is, is that these guys were, much more, were were very fascinating characters because they they, they, especially after after so much years of working in 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 other in other in, in other in in other areas of the of the of the of the mine, they have gained a very very deep like intuitive in. in in a, in a way, sense of of the mine that the mine was their life, Codelco was their home in a way. They, they were very committed with the, with this national. Uh, this this, this what, what, what what I call this copper modernity, this national project of development that 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 Codelco embodies because Codelco is a very very particular kind of of mining corporation as well. It's not like BHP or any other of the of the of the transnational ones, and and they were very very. Sort of sensitive to this kind of fragility of management, to the issue of if we mess up one single thing, everything was collapsed. They, they, they were very, very, in my case, they were very much the embodiment of this of this politic of weakness. But on the other hand, you have the management issue that that, 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 that had a professional difference. They were much more younger guys with with, with university degrees who has arrived. Uh, like, like re- recently to the mind they, they, they were much more like looking for new jobs they were very like much more ambitious and these guys the the, the, the very sort of top-down technocratic discourse was very much alive so so, so so for me for us it was very fascinating to see this on, on very Tiny uh, a decision that, that, that they made on everyday life. How these different, these very 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 very, very uh, different sort of, you could say, ontologies of mining were operating, living in the mine, yeah, uh, and living in the way they they act uh, regarding tailings, regarding security, regarding the environment, uh, and um, um, and it was and it was fascinating, uh, and it's and I think it's something uh, and the differences, it's something that goes a lot of friction in the mind, in the daily operation of the mind until today. and uh, 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 Because, of course, these viejitos guys uh, uh, feel all the time that the knowledge is not really appreciated and, and blah, blah, blah. But on the other hand, the, 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 these new guys know know that these are the, that, that the viejitos are the ones who have like the proper like embodied knowledge that cannot be teach at the university so but, 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 but it was a strange because there was some sort of no connection between the viejitos knowledge and the way the general regulatory re, regulatory bodies in chile especially Codelco that is a public corporation uh, think and discuss these kind of issues they, they, because when when the when the the central because Codelco has like Six mines, more or less. Eh, 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 Teniente is like the second largest, but but all of them very large. And and and, and but, but when the when the central unit of Codelco, for example, the the, the sustainability area. Eh, uh, want to want to implement some sort of sustainability pol policy, uh, but, uh, a policy that they only speak with the, with the with the heads of the of, of each unit but, and the Vijitos say hey they never speak to us and blah 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 but but these tensions were very for, for us were fascinating and and, and also i, I think and, and for us for us it's very important in the book to to highlight this kind of this variety of how complex are these mining corporations, how different world, completely world views are, are, even in the same unit in one single mine, and you have all this world, and, and you have people who is very much committed to, to I don't know, to trying to improve the environment and everything, and then you have guys who are who don't give a, a nothing, but it was fascinating, it was fascinating. Thank you for your question.
1: Thank you. Thanks very much, Sebastian. We are out of time, unfortunately. Um. So if you would like to. To know when Sebastian's visiting Sydney, Um, please, if you don't already, um, follow um, SEI and and sign up for our monthly newsletter. We'll certainly be sure to announce his visit when it eventually happens. But for now, please uh, join me in, in thanking Sebastian. Thanks for joining us.